you are listening to Necropolis on Hessian Firm. Please visit hessianfirm.com for metal reviews, interviews, analyses, lifestyle articles, as well as releases from the label. Welcome to Necropolis. I am Jason, also known as Lone Goat from the Necroclassical Project Goatcraft. Today I have Mr. Duncan on the show. Duncan is from the online community Order of the Black Arts, which started out as kind of like a Facebook group where um, there was a shadowy figure who founded it, and he decided to um, be very selective with who he wanted to run the group. Um, and Duncan is one of the main players. He uh, handles the YouTube channel, uploading a lot of videos, and uh, he's a good uh, representative of Order of the Black Arts. So I'm really, really happy to have Duncan on the program today. Yeah. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here. Of course. Yeah, definitely interested to uh, pick your brain a little bit, see uh, your upbringing with black metal, what started the group and how you've grown so much since the group was founded. Um, so at first glance, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with that YouTube channel now because uh, pretty much every day almost there's a new music being posted there. Um, so is that like your main duty with Order of the Black Hearts is uh, handling the YouTube channel? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the YouTube channel has grown out of the group and like you say it's sort of become its its own thing but it's certainly a parallel to the activity of the group in uh the facebook group i guess like you said is the is the core of the community of what we're doing and that is where everything started and being a black metal group of course it was intentionally elitist in its creation and development as being like the it was always um, intended to be like the best community for black metal the most kind of learned experienced insightful and innovative group um discussing black metal and we can kind of don't know over the course of the chat tease out how each of those are kind of qualities of black metal but uh in trying to embody those qualities it has sort of been you know we, we were quite elitist with who we are accepting into the group to make it have this quality basically so it's not just a landfill group of 50 you know thousands of people just dumping memes and the same old mayhem. Yeah, that's why I noticed. Uh, I know you just recently sent me an invitation to the group, and I, I read the manifesto. And I really I enjoyed reading the the rules of the chat. You seem very uh, liberal in regard to what you allow in the uh, the channel. So, like I noticed a, a lot of metal groups, and especially like metal archives. I don't want to um, throw them under the bus at all, but they're they're very <laughs> selective with what you can actually talk about which bands you can, you know, talk about and feature and share. Um, so I noticed this morning, I just, you know, glanced in there before uh, we started talking today. And there was a post about a new Graveland song. And uh, it looks like Ivan, the the admin on there, um, he, uh, he actually cleaned up the comment section because everyone was just calling, uh, you know, Rob Darkin a Nazi and all that. And <laughs> bypassing oh. the, the actual music itself um which um 
I, I believe Rob Darkin, he, you know, he stated his own political views in the past numerous times. And uh, so we, we, we know what he's into as an individual, but the music, um, I think you can actually separate that to an extent from the individual who creates it. And you can appreciate, you know, that just on its own terms, like uh, I think it's Memory and Destiny, which came out like 2001 or 2002. And I was still a kid, but I got that. And I still freaking love that album to today. Um, I think there's some of the highest peaks of black metal in that album. So it's really good to see that, you know, the it's not just flat out being censored like a lot of groups would do. They would, you know, ban someone from posting Graveland. You actually allow that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a, an incredibly sharp, double-edged sword. That uh, In the past, I've called that our draconian leniency of allowing everything but we have very strict rules of engagement i think of dealing with that and again it goes back to trying to create a community of of real quality where people can uh kind of dis distance themselves a bit from what well, as much as possible from really reacting to those kind of things and that sort of visceral instinct whichever way you have when you're confronted with you know, bands like Graveland and loads of like, NS type bands, um, it, I mean, it is it is tricky to manage. And sometimes we do just shut down those conversations when they get uh, out of hand and people get heated because it does happen eventually. But we uh, we we do try and have those conversations about those bands and incorporate them into the group because. They existed, like you say, some of them are very influential in sound. Um, and even if the bands that they influence don't have anything to do with those politics, the actual structures of music, rhythms, melodies and sounds are all kind of, they all feed into the development of black metal as a genre, as a sound. And yeah, they are part, part of its history. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so what it's all from just that one thread, which, you know, I'm brand new to the group. I haven't really posted anything yet. Um, but uh, um, what I saw in there is, number one, the uh, the group has grown. I know you said, you said you're being selective, but there's about 5,000 people in this group already. And yeah. that's a testament, you know, even when you're being you know selective, it's still grown immensely. And that's all that some people that I know in real life are already members of that group. And uh, so when I actually scroll through the, the posts this morning, um, I only saw like maybe like seven posts, but that Graveland definitely stood out because uh, um, I saw the aftermath after Ivan went in there and uh, cleaned up. <laughs> they the do always section. pick off those. But some of, some of the initial responses were there, you know, people reiterating what they had said. And like one guy just said like Graveland's music sucks, you know, regardless of politics, but he didn't give any reasons why. Uh, Graveland's music sucks. You just said it just sucks. So I, I don't necessarily agree about separating artist from the art. I mean, I, I don't think art falls out of the sky independent of someone creating it. And I think you can have a, you know, it's not too hard for me to not not pay any attention to things if the people that make it, I don't want to have anything to do with. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I, it sort of, it exists, that music is there to at least acknowledge it. 
But those, yeah, those threads always kind of kick off. Um, but yeah, so the, quali- the quality of the music, I think it is uh, not helpful in any regard to just dismiss something and say, oh, the, the music is crap, if you strongly object to that person or that person's politics. I don't think it particularly uh, helps advance any constructive conversations in, yeah, I agree. in any direction just to dismiss things out of hand like that. Yeah, I mean, if if he would have given some reasons why it sucks, and then that can actually be a conversation in and of itself, you know, regardless of the politics. But it's just, I, I think it's just like a knee-jerk reaction. Like, you know, Graveland's been a very prolific band. Um, a lot of different releases, you know, the early eras, what, you know, like Celtic Winter and stuff like that is what people consider to be like the best period. But I think uh, when he started maturing a little bit and came out Memory and Destiny, I think that was the actual peak. You know, the early stuff was very primitive. Um, you know, there had some good folk melodies. That's another thing, too, that Graveland actually assimilated some folk melodies in that early black metal and kind of opened up that uh, that door, which, uh, you know, is, is sprang into its own thing in black metal, where there's a lot of folk elements, especially with a lot of European bands. Um, so I, right. it's really hard to dismiss, you know, just saying it's like, oh, they just suck, you know, dismiss it like that without even giving any reasons. Now, I, I listened to that new song that was posted. And it was just like kind of kind of like the same thing he's been doing for 10 years. It's nothing really <laughs> special or anything. I could actually name some reasons why it could possibly suck. But, um, yeah, that criticism that he gave is not really uh, justifiable. Um with how he was presenting, I know it was just a knee-jerk reaction with the just a political stance of Rob Darkin. But you even look at Rob Darkin, even outside of Black Metal, he did Lord Wind, and there's actually some really cool things he did with that project. I, I haven't really gotten into what he's been doing lately with it, with like a full-on folk band, but um, he, he had like that one album that was like very inspired by Conan and. All that it was just—I thought it was really interesting stuff. Um, outside of black metal, it's like neo folk and all that, which is kind of like black metal adjacent. Yeah. Well, well I mean, speak, speaking of folk and uh, kind of regional, native, local, cultural instruments, is you know, that—that's one of the kind of starting points of where those sketchy politics sort of start. Those local. Uh, yeah, that that ethnic um, kind of uh, what's the word? I'm trying to reach for the word, I can't get it. Mm. Like heterogeneous. I like yeah, tra- traditional instruments and things. Tradition, the sense of tradition, uh, paganism, history. Those were all uh, some of the themes of black metal that were unique to the genre well that gave it a unique strength and identity and one of the themes in the sort of nascent 90s and Norwegian Scandinavian scenes about reclaiming and reinforcing those pagan origins of the country and traditions that was all something that appealed to me at the start but there, I think there comes a point when people are uh, really 
em emphasizing those qualities and the way in which they are emphasizing those qualities is where people start to um, sort of analyze the sketchiness of bands. Yeah, one thing I noticed with like NSBM, and you know, I, I take it from a band by band case, just as a musician and someone who enjoys black metal. Um, I think a lot of USBM is of very low quality. Um, I, I don't know if that's on purpose or, you know, these guys are more into the politics than the music itself. But um, I think a lot of NSBM itself um, is just low quality. Um, I, I don't find the music being very uh, um, innovative or anything like that, or a mastery over the form. It's just kind of just tacked together and throw some edgy lyrics on there and call it a day. Um, and, you know, they sell in their little circles, which I think is very niche stuff. I mean, black metal itself is niche, but this is like a sub-sub yeah. genre where there's a, a political motivation behind it, where you know, it's more about the politics and the music. And that's where it kind of, in my own personal view, like NSVM fails a lot is on the musical side. There are a couple exceptions, like we mentioned Graveland. Like I'm unsure that I would actually say it's NSVM. I know the guy who makes it, you know, uh, he's into this politics, but a lot of the lyrics is more, you know, folk base or, you know, mythology based. And you look at Rob Darkin, I think he's half uh, Polish and half Italian or something like that. So he's not really like a, Oh, well, yes. Right. There's always some quality to these people that undermines their whole stance on things. Um, but my, I, I use NSBM interchangeably between NS black metal and NS band members to differentiate between one is actually the theme of the whole thing and the other just happens to have like sketchy people in it that make it. And that's ho however you want to interpret those or what qualities you assign to those. Um, yeah, the same thing with Burzum, I would say. Like, uh, Burzum's not necessarily NS, but, you know, Varg, what he does away from his music is certainly sketchy. Um, that's that's another thing of, like, quirky. dismissing things out of just saying, oh, that's that music is rubbish because you don't like the person. And, yeah, I think dismissing kind of Burzum because you don't like Varg is one of those things is is the same people say his music is rubbish like uh, I don't know it clearly has some extremely uh powerful themes in the music that are still kind of pervasive in so much of black metal even though he insists himself that it's not black metal that's quite Oh, just another kind of farcical aspect of what, the kind of things that he says. Yeah, he's really kooky. He's, I remember reading uh, Lords of Chaos back when I was a teenager, and Vari just said all these kooky things, like he'll never play guitar again because that instrument is for uh, black people. And here he is, you know, after prison, making guitar burrs and music again. He's just very oh, inconsistent. And, oh, uh, contradictions and Oh, yeah. Very kooky. But I just wanted to touch upon like uh, what you allow in the group, which uh, that that Graveland post definitely stood out. Which a lot of groups would not allow that. Um, which I think is you know pretty cool that we can actually have some open conversation regarding uh, some of these bands that would be flat out censored in other circles. Um, so I think it's pretty cool. Um, and you also have a lot of uh, so let's get into the the founding of. Uh, 
Order of the Black Arts. It started in May 2016, and he had uh, informed me that it was initially by a shadowy figure who goes by the name of Bradley, Bradley um, kind of like the Dark Lord in the background dictating things and sending yeah. forth his generals to execute the, the <laughs> devious plans and all that. Um, so, yeah. um, so Bradley is the guy who kind of set up the group and then uh, he chose, you know, certain people to run it like yourself and Ivan. Um, so since then the channel or the, the group has grown to 5,000 people. You've got the YouTube channel, which is over like 11,000 likes on there. So when you do post music, uh, a lot of people end up hearing, you know, everything that you post on there. So do you try to make that like a daily affair, uh, uploading new music every day? Uh, yes, that, that, I mean, is one of the things that has been a run, run away with itself and is sort of a victim of its own success almost, which is brilliant. And I mean, the, the original purpose and still the, the purpose of the YouTube channel is to um, give another kind of platform, out, but also collect together the music of artists and bands and labels that are in the group. So still like the vast majority of music and albums that are posted on that channel are all members of the Facebook group. And that's where most of it comes from. In some way, they are labels or affiliated with labels, um, individual artists or bands, band members and their associates. They're all related to the actual group. We do get some kind of submissions from outside and we do all look actively looking for new music and we find stuff and we'd like it enough to want to post it to the channel most of the time those people do end up joining the group anyway so the the group itself part of the reason why i guess it's quite small and we're being quite selective but of all of those members so many of them are in like so many like incredible bands and one of its massive achievements of the group is just to have so many like seriously top tier musicians and artists from from the whole like genre um, itself and that's that was one of the the goals to be a kind of creative um, constructive community and the the youtube channel is one outlet for that one you know since we since this is music it's one of the more convenient well one of the the appropriate platforms to do that so yeah it's it features albums from members of the group all their new releases so the more members the group gets the more the more albums people are putting out the more things there are to feature on the channel so yeah the whole thing is just snowballed massively is it, is it growing into a lot more work than like four years ago uh yeah i mean when so the i think the channel is just over well, about three years old um so uh yeah i think that i mean the channel itself is doing really well and the numbers of subscribers for it and the views on the videos are you know that's really good because it's people listening to the work of our members and the music of our members the group which is the which is the goal but yeah in terms of in terms of work i i like to make as much well 
effort with the videos as possible, um, featuring like the logos of the bands in the videos, the logos of labels, putting as much information in as possible, writing something about the albums that I'm featuring. So it's not just, you know, not just a video with no context. Right. I noticed that the, the video descriptions that you do are very detailed. You do the track listing with timestamps as well as you know, like the you know, description of the music itself that you usually write a paragraph for. Um, do you have a, a background in uh, writing at all? Uh, I, I, I do. Um, yes, I have been in the past. Um, like a music journalist, I guess, writing for, well, I wrote for a local Brighton magazine, but I've done stuff for websites in the past, Stylus, I did a little stint for, if anyone remembers that, Drowned in Sound, I wrote for, um, had a black metal column there, regular one for a while. Um, and I have just, yeah, generally done a lot of, a lot of writing, and then, I guess I never really, well, I don't know whether I had aspirations to be an actual kind of music journalist. Um, I saw that sort of writing petered out a bit when I got sick of just using the same phrases and words. And I kind of felt that I'd run out of words a bit. And Yeah, there's only so many ways you can <laughs> phrase the same thing over and over, especially if uh, a lot of the bands are of a, a very similar format where you have to pick, you know, what actually makes them unique out, but, um, but you still have to describe the music as a whole. So that makes a lot of sense that you have a, a background in music journalism, um, because I noticed, like, you're very descriptive when you describe the albums on YouTube. So I was just kind of wondering if that, you know, was part of your, you know, resume, and it appears that it is, so it's really cool. Um, so you mentioned that you were a music journalist, how did you get into black metal and like what thrusted that to be like your main genre or subgenre? Uh, well, I'm from, uh, I'm from Ipswich and I was a teenager in the nineties. So cradle of filth were absolutely massive where I came from, even, even when they were just kicking around Hadley still, they were still massive to me because that's my area. That's my like village. So Cradle of Filth are uh, a formative band in many ways. So you know what? Like Sorry to jump on you. When I was in the ninth grade, I was already really, really into death metal. And this girl came up. She was like, I'm into black metal. I'm like, what the hell is black metal? And she shows me Cradle of Filth. And I did not like the vocals at all. It took, <laughs> you know, it took me a couple of years to get around to the good stuff, like Emperor and all of that. But. My, my first exposure was Cradle of Filth, and I was like, no, I'll just stick to death metal. Like, <laughs> please go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, yes, there's a, few, there's a few kind of aspects to Cradle of Filth which people will hang on to and focus on to claim they're not black metal, but they're, they're versatile. They're many things to many people. That's what makes them cool. Um, and we actually, in the order of the Black Arts, we will... Uh, we will defend Cradle of Filth to the death in any way possible. Um, they got a lot of support in the group, unlike other uh, kind of more, well, generic black metal groups, I think. But yeah, so I always had one one eye on black metal when I was younger, but it was 
uh, I was still kind of young, not not into not into tape trading scene, not really deep into it. That I had access and was listening to everything, um, but I was around enough to see the infamous Kerrang feature on Norwegian black metal with stuff about all the, the big foundational '90s bands and the church burnings and stuff. Um, yeah, I think that controversy <laughs> uh, propelled black metal into the public consciousness. Like, I, I think it was, you know, black metal started as just the antithesis of death metal. Like, death metal was too fun. It was too commercial. That's when, uh, you know, some of the bands were getting, you know, pretty good record label deals. And black metal was like a rebellion against that. Um, but then, you know, the, the controversy over the church burnings and murders and all that in Norway um, propelled them into the, the mainstream consciousness. And then the same thing ended up happening in black metal, where there were some black metals who black metal bands who uh, reached high commercial success. You know, they, they, they changed their sound to be uh, more conducive to the mainstream. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I, but bands like um, Emperor, Immortal, satiricon they would always have used as higher quality recording equipment as they could possibly have got i don't there's not necessarily um their their rawness of sound is not necessarily by design entirely uh, i think they've meant all of those bands have mentioned in interviews as well i think that had they had better equipment, they would have used it. They no, they didn't want to be recording like straight straight to tape in a garage. I mean, yeah, not like the the Burzum and the Dark Throne. Um, well, I'm not more. I think like bands now, or well, for the last. I mean, it's the period of now is like we're twenty years, twenty thirty years away from that period. It's now a very selective, artistic, stylistic choice to record proper like nasty low fidelity inaudible horrifically audible uh like noise well it's a it's a kind of a side adjacent um genre to noise which is another one of the, my fascinations with black Mel is i was very heavily into noise music as well from the like late 90s 2000s um and uh, the the noise of black metal and pure noise in itself were quite interwoven for me for quite a while. Um, so that that rawness, yeah, I really was something that was uh, very very appealing for the genre for me. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what what finally caught my ear with black metal was totally into death metal for about twelve years old to like fifteen sixteen. Um, what actually changed my mind was stuff like Burzum because uh, I started listening more and more just out of curiosity and how idiosyncratic and catchy, you know, some of the stuff was the stuff had its own character beyond that, the texture um, like uh, Varg, you know, it was, he moved mountains with Burzum. Um, no one can you know deny that, you know, the, the sound and character that he conjured up. Um, and that's what I was kind of drawn, drawn to was the, uniqueness of it where everything's stripped down and simplified but their bands are still able to convey a lot of profundity um with their music and 
it's kind of interesting in that regard where I, I didn't really focus on the the noise the texture itself like uh, uh i guess that was your background back then that you're drawn to the noise i was actually drawn to like the rhythms and all that um and that really allowed me to fully get into a uh, black metal and by the time i was you know 18 i was full-fledged you know ordering shirts off the internet and going to black metal shows i was I'm sure if you heard of a band called Thornspawn, but uh, when I was 18, I moved down to San Antonio and uh, uh, I met Alex Blackthorn from Thornspawn at a, a place here called Sam's Burgers Joint where they held the uh, Sacrifice of Nazarene Child Fest every year, which is like the main, it used to be like the main USBM festival. And Alex used to throw there a Sam's Burgers Joint. So I just met him there casually and Ended up hanging out with him and Carl, uh, Lord Necron, uh, when I was 18. Like, Carl helped me move uh, apartment to apartment. And and they really introduced me to, like, the, the black metal side of uh, Texas metal. It's really interesting. And uh, it's just kind of interesting, like, uh, how I was initially drawn to that specific character, you know, with the idiosyncratic nature of things like Burzum and Dark Throne, which, you know, Dark Throne is a special case. I think they started out as a phenomenal death metal band. And they made a 180 to a black metal and they stripped down everything, but they're still able to make very profound music. Dark, Dark Throne are a unique, well, they started off unique and they kind of remain unique, I think. Um, they just have done exactly what they wanted to do. Well, I guess exactly what they wanted. They seem very, very free, freely creative and capable of just doing whatever they want. So, uh, yeah, I think their last couple of albums have been pretty interesting for that in itself. And I'm very, I am really looking forward to this new one. It sounds very interesting. Uh, a couple of kind of teasy comments they've made about it. Um, the use of synthesizers sounds quite interesting. Well, but, what is uh, it called? It's called Eternal Hills, right? Uh, yeah, something. Oh, yeah. How could I, 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 I think that's the funniest. <laughs> album title about a star throne they could get away with it uh, i i think more more black metal needs more kind of self self-referential comments in it and things like i really like the satiricon track um black black lava where it mentions like yeah i actually like that one too it's an epic song it's very long long form uh, i absolutely love that volcano album it's sort of on a par my favorite satiricon album purely because it it combines all of their stuff that came before and it just that black lava it the whole album just oozes like molten nastiness and it's really yeah it's just really cool yeah, just, um, i like that one more than uh, nemesis divina i know that's blasphemy to say it but i probably visit <laughs> that one more than uh their their classic album so to speak i mean dark dark medieval times and volcano were pretty much on par for me because well, that kind of nascent, foggy rawness of dark medieval times, but then that clarity and comprehension of what they're actually doing in Volcano and the self self-referential aspect of it, um, yeah, is is very cool. I really like that album. Yes, Tearcon's another one of those interesting bands who kind of changed up their sound with a lot of different albums. It's like, oh, they're doing this now and that. Um, they flat out went like rock at one point, I believe. And uh, it's just interesting that uh, they can get away with it. But, you know, black metal has grown, you know, just 30-year history. 
like I had mentioned earlier, where there's all these little offshoots of black metal now, like it went through a super successful commercial phase in the late nineties and early two thousands. And now it's just kind of been really just, I think it's like, I, I, I don't like this analogy, but this picture just came in my head of, you know, the black metal genre, just being consumed by all these different vultures from different walks of life and they're just kind of doing their own take on it. Like there's post black metal now, there's shoe gaze, there's yeah. all kinds of different offshoots of black metal, which you know, like that post black metal stuff is more uh, rock music influence of like black metal flavorings. So it's kind of interesting just how broad uh, black metal has become. Um, so you're, you initially started out with Cradle of Filth. Yeah. Um, which I believe, you know, they would be like, uh, I, th I think they took like the, I think they actually started out as a death metal band, like uh, Dark Throne and Immortal started out as a death metal band too. Um, but, uh, and, uh, they, and, uh, and just goth, new, new romanticism and goth were really big in Ipswich at the time. And also punks. I remember the transition in the town, town square in Ipswich from punks with people with pink, bright red, yellow Mohicans and like denim jackets, studs and buckles over them. And that slowly changed to that big flowery, new romantic uh, kind of Gothic dress, um, loads of lace and, and then like crossing over, well, lots of leather industrial kind of clothes so you could actually you know very very visibly see the sh see the shift um in the in the culture around interesting i didn't know that um but yeah like uh there was definitely a shift in their sound and it's probably you know what you're you know describing there with their you know surroundings and the culture there the subculture but uh i thought that what they ended up doing um was really taking like that iron maiden format and adding a lot of gothic elements to it and they succeeded i think they really did succeed in that aspect um now do i consider them black metal um that's something like i'm on the ropes about they do have a lot of black metal <laughs> elements and being that black metal is so broad nowadays like for being kind of ambiguous with that categorization, like if post black metal is black metal, then yeah, I would say critical filth is black metal in that regard, but it's not the first or second way of a black metal. Uh, I mean, I don't know how unique my opinion of this is, but um, black metal is almost its own completely unique removed genre or a kind of foundational style which is why it's so easy to be incorporated into different kinds of music or why different kinds of music can be incorporated into it and I also think it's never sat still at any point since for the last kind of 40 years since Venom coined the term black metal with that one track it has been constantly evolving and people have this crystallized opinion or some some people obviously again just a a crystallized opinion of black metal being defined by that 90s norwegian 
yeah. style. But yeah, I've, seen, I've seen people here in San Antonio who's, who have actually said, I just listen to Norwegian black metal. I'm like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, there's so much <laughs> good stuff out there that you limited just to Norwegian. Um, but look at just Finland, you know, up there in Scandinavia, too. Um, you know, Finland's produced a lot of great black metal. Look at Beherit and Pell Nazarene and all that. Um, I think they're on, you know, they can stand head to head with uh, their Norwegian counterpart. Uh, right. And even at, at the time, that was not the only style that was being developed. Uh, I mean, there's the South American scene as well, where kind of uh, the mystifier were not making that same, quite that same kind of sound all across Eastern Europe as well. There were their own sort of more urban uh, kind of post-punky sounding, um, very loosely post-punk, but um, that kind of looser version of a similar kind of style. But all at the same time as that, those kind of that Helvete scene, um, there was loads of different sounds all appearing and developing at the same time, sort of simultaneously. And it's, and it just kept moving from that. Uh, you had like proper um, DSBM, depressive, suicidal black metal emerging very quickly after that kind of mid to late 90s scene, um, silencer appearing. And then that very quickly became like that that Californian scene of Zaster, yeah, Leviathan, Rebane. That sound, it's not very far behind. There's not very many years between any of this kind of stuff happening. And then that whole USBM movement, weakling appearing, setting that foundational kind of post-rock crescendo, expanding, contracting style of kind of elongated uh, tracks that Wolves in the Throne Room picked up, um, Ashbora, Fell Voices, all these kind of post, well, post-Norwegian kind of stuff. But that around 2000, that m millennial type of black metal, which is, I think, in, in the order group as well, we, we do quite often refer to that as a third wave. Not, not everyone really recognizes a third wave of black metal, but certainly uh, we do uh, among the admins, among most of the, lots of the group members. Yep. Um, we haven't even touched on France and Death Spell Omega that appeared around like late 90s as well. Antaeus, Aesoth. Um, yeah, so that kind of, that kind of di dissonant style of black metal. Um, that was happening in France and what was happening in America, Weakling and Despel Omega combine to produce this third wave sound, which um, is still incredibly influential, still going on, but it's just like the different styles of black metal, the influences that it's incorporated into it and that kind of refract back out into other different styles is, is, it's, it's compelling, it's fascinating. And uh, we in our group can't really <laughs> countenance having such a limited view of uh, what black metal is or what people should be posting. I mean, the more 
time that you spend in a group and you scroll around and have a look, um, you you will be lucky to find like one mayhem or one emperor post in the last year. I think we had one recently. Um, yeah, emperor is doing that live performance. I think in like a week or so with uh, Mortis back on base. So that yeah, should be that's really right. interesting. That's right. Yeah, very, very I mean, personally, um, I'm not too much of a fan of Emperor. I think I only like the first album. <laughs> I'm one of those. They don't they don't repeat stuff enough for me. I prefer a bit more yeah. kind of locked in, hypnotic, trancey repetition. They kind of approach I, it like a, a early Beethoven symphony, where like into the infinity of thoughts, it doesn't go back to the main first riff until like four or five minutes into the song and Beethoven did the same with uh, his third symphony. He doesn't go back to the main theme until like eight minutes into it. So yeah, um, yeah they took that kind of highbrowish form with their uh, song construction in that regard. But uh, I think Emperor, I like in the past, I was like, Oh, this is my favorite black metal album ever. But then freaking immortal, there's like a tie between Emperor and Immortal. And, you know, maybe I'll, for a week, I'll get super into Burzum again. And then, like, <laughs> fucking Burzum rules. So, yeah, I'm very, I'm flip floppy in regard to uh, what I think is the best. And then um, I listen to a lot of Beharit still. I fucking love Beharit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> just uh, such a unique personality and character um, with that very primitive black metal, um, which, you know, he says, you know, it's influenced by stuff like blasphemy and all that. But uh, um, when he made that transition to electronic music, it was just like, God damn, this is good. Like he captured that metal spirit still, that black metal spirit, and he, he injected it into electronic music and very interesting stuff. Like, um, I how would you consider that? Is that part of the second wave, third wave, fourth wave, like the electronic era of Beharit? I guess. It's a fluke. <laughs> maybe i mean the the electronic element as well and that uh the, the segue to dungeon synth becoming more than just kind of ambient interludes and coalescing into its own distinct entity as well that's another adjacent scene that has been spawned from black metal itself and that just makes the whole thing fluid and malleable and far more than just you know four four bands from norway in the 90s but yeah dungeon synth is uh like the electronics element is another kind of fascinating unique aspect to black metal that is used in a unique way in the genre yeah, there's been a lot of different takes on that electronic aspect. It looks like bands that, uh, like Aberim with Attila on vocals. Um, yeah, industrial. Yeah, industrial techno black metal. Um, and they well, that, I mean, that kind of thing sort of sounds horrendous on paper. Then you hear that that Aberim album, the, and you're like, oh, oh, yes, this is how it can be done. Probably only with this once, though. But And then Anal Mathrak as well, just absolutely shred everything just tear everything apart collapse everything on their first couple of albums the codex necro as well is yeah i remember really i remember when the codex necro came out because i saw attila was on it and i was like and i checked it out i'm like holy shit this rips even though it had like a drum machine and all that on there but uh um that was really interesting like mixing uh black metal grindcore and they did that after the codex necro but uh 
Um, really interesting. They have their own unique voice on black metal. They don't really fall into a specific wave of black metal that just goes to lend itself to how broad um, black metal is. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, from that traditionalist camp, it's like, you know, the, everything after the second wave is bust. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff being released, you know, from a lot of different walks of life and uh like I, i'll admit i like some now nath rock um i especially like their lyrical content um and you know they're the very nihilistic <laughs> uh lyrics and content that uh they have featured you know everything you know going from the lucifer effect if you've read that book um they had a song called that which is a i believe it was about a it's been like 10 years since I read the book, but uh, Guantanamo Bay, um, that prison where uh, the guards ended up like really abusing the prisoners and yeah. humiliating them and all that. Um, it was a study on like the psychology of people once they have power over other people. Um, that's what the Lucifer effect is like people inherently turn evil. And so uh, now Nathrock actually wrote a song about that. And, you know, I think the lyrical content's really fucking interesting at what they do. Um, some of the late, later albums, very, very uh, not much more going on, you know, just keeping that same texture and sound, you know, album to album. But uh, I, I really enjoy the lyrical content. Uh, I mean, Anal Nathrak are one of Ivan Gossage, one of the main guy of the order. He writes a lot for Black Metal Daily, um, and he did a like a track by track, album by album write up of their whole discography, and it's really cool, really interesting. He's like a massive Anal fan, and um, yeah, he really kind of unpacks everything, every detail of every track um, in that write up. That's really interesting stuff. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. I always consider them. I don't want to say like the lyrical content is highbrow because they're just really looking at the worst aspects of humanity and singing about it. Um, and you know, the song like between uh, shit and piss, we are born, you know, it doesn't get more nihilistic than that because it's just saying that you're, you know, you're the baby comes out in between the poop hole and the pee hole pretty much. So, <laughs> you know, just very nihilistic, you know, the fatalistic, I should say, um, takes on reality the dark side of you know human life well that i mean that is a, obviously a huge part a huge aspect of the well the the themes of black metal and something yeah that was pretty attractive to the at the start of when i was getting into it that was definitely one of the themes that was very uh yeah very fascinating when i was younger i don't know necessarily so much now I don't begrudge anyone for being fascinated and obsessed with those parts of it, but uh, I think I've kind of, well, my uh, my remit, my requirements for the genre have expanded just as much as the, the actual sound of the genre itself has as well. And I think, uh, I don't know how much of a, a loose, consistent segue this is, but the whole of like USBM, the Cascadian scene of adding that kind of environmentalism aspect, the naturalistic um, kind of earthy aspect to it. 
uh, was really interesting as an extension of the paganism that was inherent in the genre for the whole kind of from its origins or at least from kind of Bathory anyway um well that is the origin really yeah, it's uh, yeah the whole Cascadian scene is really interesting and the, and the sound that it sort of kicked off yeah I've talked to Daniel Lake the guy of the uh the book uh USDM yeah. um yeah which we can't get in the UK yet until it appears in a cult never dies is going to stock it at some point but we haven't been able to get it yet unless we want to pay like 50 dollars shipping <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Lake said he would send me a copy because I sent him a vinyl copy of Yersinia Pestis. Oh, um, nice. That's a good And trend. so it was like, I'm going to trade you for that. I still haven't received my copy yet, but uh, hopefully I'll get that sometime this year. And I'll be really interested to, you know, I, I want to interview him thoroughly. Like I did that one inter- interview um, when he first came out with the book. And I, I noticed a lot of podcasts and other interviews, they, uh, they read that initial interview that I did with him. So that was pretty cool that, you know, people are quoting things that he said in there, um, which is, I, I love that about the, how open people are in metal. Like, you know, if I like something and you're someone or anything like that, so I have no problem writing about them or, you know, I've written for a few publications, so don't have an issue whatsoever doing that. So hopefully I receive that book this year. And after I give it a good uh, reading, um, hopefully have a formal interview with him on this podcast. I think that'll be really cool. And if that's something that you want to jump into and be a guest on your morning, welcome. Um, being that it's about United States black metal. Um, and I <laughs> pretty much talked to most of the, the main players in the scene. So he'll have a lot of insights. So hopefully one day we can do that on this podcast. Um, so you mentioned Cradle of Filth being that initial band that got you into black metal. Um, what are what are some of the others after that? Well, I mean, yeah, speaking about kind of US black metal, I don't really understand why that is a, such a maligned kind of scene or form within black black metal. Um, because you know, for, for me, some of my favorite bands are all American bands. Like I mentioned them briefly before, Ash Bora and Fell Voices. Those two are just like proper earth-rending, sky-scorching forms of black metal that's purely elemental, just channeling kind of my... One, one of the reasons I like noise music, I think, is because it removes the person from the room and is just like channeling noise and sound and when you have a band it's harder to like a full band it's harder to stop imagining that there's people playing and especially with like metal vocals like deep kind of roaring death metal vocals you can it has to be a certain specific kind of noise that just uh, removes itself from like uh, sounding like a, some guy in a room grunting. Like if you can still see the person, then it shatters the illusion. But bands that can really channel sound and make it sound like there's no people involved, it's just purely elemental. Those two bands really do that for me. And Churia as well from the Netherlands, the Horasis Novia Meiji kind of group of uh, Solar Temple, Iskandar, Turia, uh, Fluisteras, 
I'm butchering these Dutch words, um, but yeah, that that kind of collective as well. Um, they make elemental black metal, which is one of my favorite kind of. So forms. like more earthy based, like you said. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I have more exploring to do in black metal. To, I haven't really checked those bands out. First time hearing about them, I think. So um, definitely very cool. Um, so you didn't go the traditional path. You went path. You went cradle of filth. And then he branched into some super obscure stuff. Like <laughs> no, but I went. I went through the. I went through all of the kind of foundational stuff, um, and you know, satiricon dark medieval times is one of my favourites. Like I said briefly, I never, I never really got hooked on Emperor or Immortal Emperor. Yeah, like you were explaining, they take too long to conclude their like phrasing of all of their um all the the melodies and passages that they set up they um oh, what's the right word well not conclude them but yeah they finish them too long it takes you long to get there hmm. so um, you don't really like classical music then right well i i kind of i do um but not i don't have a huge sort of breadth of knowledge of all that yeah so uh, an average anton bruckner symphony the movements are about 20 to 30 minutes and there's four movements in a symphony <laughs> and there's like one main theme per movement so i can imagine just like you're sitting there just like at a at a you know orchestra performing and just wanting to fucking leave go back to the main statement <laughs> i i do i do prefer uh, repet repetition i'm very into repetition like there's a band called the necks who are not metal band more kind of it's not not even that jazzy but they are very much into repetition um i like hypnotic stuff i like but my burzum as well was one of my foundational bands that that buzzing hypnotic repetition trancey kind of lilting melodies and stuff is really good um i mean non I'm a big post-rock fan as well. I like Godspeed albums. Some of my favorite albums, Mogwai, I've uh, been into since they first started. Um, in fact, I own more Mogwai albums than any other artist. I've got more. They've got big a bigger discography. The only thing I've heard of them is that uh, remix they did of Rammstein. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they did one, uh, I think it was Mindland. Yeah, they did a remix of Mindland. They did like a techno kind of rendition on that. I haven't heard that myself. I it's pretty good. I like to. I like it. You know, I've, I've listened. It, I've listened to it. You know, but going through like Fredericksburg, Texas, driving through there, where German is still spoken in public, and I play that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing music with your people. <laughs> um, yeah, good times. So it's kind of interesting. Like you went the traditional path, and then you just really freaking broaden your, your horizons. Right, you know, a very broad outlook where it comes to black metal. Yeah, so in some of my other sort of favorite favorite albums are like Bonal, Meaningless, Leaning Mess for that just nasty, vicious, punky attitude. Um, liturgy, aesthetica, completely change of tone and style there. That 
that I absolutely love that album and no one has been able to come close to creating anything remotely similar to that in my opinion anyway um that kind of pure it's like an audio strobe how that just repeats and just locks into some really compact rhythms um I, mean, I am also quite a fan of his essay that Hunter Hunter Hendricks wrote for yeah the transcendental uh, black metal manifesto yeah. or something like that um which I've not read it um I know it's been mentioned a couple of times on this podcast already uh, oh, yeah. to varying reviews of it but uh um yes I I, I still haven't read it. Like I've read a lot of uh, German I- idealistic philosophers, like you know Schopenhauer, Kant, Nietzsche, Hegel, Schelling, uh, guys cut from that cloth. Um, I think one one of the criticisms of it though is is uh, it, it's not written very well. Like the quality of writing is not as good as it needs to be. But if but you can tell where it's going and what it's trying to achieve and what it's trying to convey of this inversion of a genre that's supposed to be inverting certain things in the first place. So it's a complete implosion of all these ideas and just obliterating them into this blinding light of just infinite explosive kind of creativity and this kind of infinite expanding noise which is what aesthetica does to me anyway i've seen it played live a couple of times and it's properly transportive experience both times um and the the kind of themes in that essay about expansion and contracting and the like burst beat style that a lot of usbm uses of creating this constantly evolving pulse within um, the like the backline drums and bass the rhythm section, just to put the tremolo riffs over the top of. So it's sort of this shifting kaleidoscopic experience of sound, like that. That's like an American form of black metal USBM style, and um, quite quite different from traditional second wave Norwegian. well what i would say is similar to the second wave um if we're talking about the the scandinavian stuff in regard to it being a rebellion against the norm of yeah. what has been accepted because you know uh the second wave of black metal was a rebellion against you know death metal and you know the the more sound sound um it, it being more you know marketable and uh, consumer friendly because it's just a death metal band writing death metal songs and people having fun and all that black metal is a rebellion against that then black metal became normalized and then other black metal bands you know rebel against that so um it's really interesting i think it's uh, amorphous and i said this in the the interview with uh daniel lake um the author of usbm that uh usbm and i think black metal as a whole like usbm might be a, a microcosm of the you know what black metal broadly is um it's really a a groundless chaos beneath all grounds there's no uh yeah. specific form to it 
Um, there's always going to be a lot of freaking different takes on it. You know, the music, you look at that second wave of black metal, you look at stuff like Burzum, that is not complex music. That is not, you know, it's not musicians music. music. You don't go into yeah. an academic setting and, you know, break down what's going on in a Burzum song. But what it is, is it has distinctive character and it's very impacting to the listener. You listen to it, it's like, this is profound music. So there's that element to it where, you know, all these different walks of life can come into it and add to it. Like they may not be adding to the genre as a whole. They may just be doing their own offshoot of it, which, you know, how divisive, you know, black metal, especially that earlier conversation we had about Graveland, um, it could be met with a lot of friction from, you know, people not like post post black metal, for instance, being heavily influenced by uh, rock music and yeah. that being a rejection of that second wave. Um, so it's really interesting. If you look at black metal as this grander, like part of the human condition, I would say where it's like a, that groundless chaos beneath all grounds where it's just amorphous. You can't pinpoint what black metal actually is as part of the, I don't know if you want to say like the Jungian shadow or something like that. <laughs> um, it's just there and it's being expounded upon in a lot of diverse ways. Uh, yeah. And well, going back to the kind of purposes of the order of the black arts as a group, that's those kind of themes, the philosophical um, themes in it, foundations, ideas, that's something that we have some quite big discussions of in the group and some really interesting detailed um, conversations with lots of members who have really kind of insightful uh, ideas and opinions about uh, what, what black male is, what it's supposed to be, what it can be, the, its limitations or its potential. Uh, so we have lots of um, kind of, traditionalists in the group lots of progressive kind of people as well so we get some really good conversations um and i'm mean, going to skip kind of right back to the beginning where we were talking about moderating the group and how we have this more like free freer less restrictive kind of posting style um that does allow for kind of ns topics to be posted um is it's part of that of just encouraging the much more sort of sophisticated level of discussion yeah and I, I definitely i i applaud you for that because like i said earlier um a lot of groups would just ban people for posting graveland but you actually encourage discussion about the music and granted you know the political discussion could you know eventually happen but to write it off as Graveland just sucks without you know, he, the, the actual comment said the music of Graveland sucks without giving any reasons why it sucks. I think that's yeah. a problem. Well, um, we, we even have like on the original posts, when people post into the group, we're very strict on people adding a, a comment, commentary, some kind of description, some reason for them sharing that post into the group whereas you see a lot of other groups on facebook is just the youtube link 
with no no comment or anything at all. Uh, and that is just <laughs> unacceptable for us. You have to, if you post something, you have to have some kind of insight or additional comment expanding on some aspect of the album when you share it or the single when you share it. And that in itself has really set the tone for the culture of the group and the way people discuss things and communicate. It does take a huge amount of admin, um, which is partly why we have so many people and partly why we, I don't know, we are, I mean, we, we do fall out about certain things. We don't agree on everything. Well, as you say, there's lots of kind of different different opinions, different perspectives on black metal. So we don't always agree on everything, but we do agree on the purpose of the group. And we are very cohesive on our goals for what the group is trying to achieve. Um, but it does take a lot of work, actually, to, yeah. to manage the group, especially which is why most 5, people... 5,000 members, especially 5,000 members, that's 5,000 people from different walks of life all <laughs> converging into one spot. So there's going to be, you know, definitely some moderation needed there. Well, it would be nice if we had kind of 5,000 people all trying to trying to post at the same time. It's not quite that busy, but it is. Uh, it definitely gets a lot of traffic. There are a lot of eyes, a lot of people just observing all of the posts, even if they're not all interacting with it. Um, yeah, very so. Cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, Um so it's really great that you're trying to build a community um, without, you know, excluding the, the musical aspect of black metal, which, you know, unfortunately, there, there are some aspects that, you know, the political side, which may turn some people's stomachs, um, but you're, you allow the music itself to be shared with, you know, discussion, even about the politics behind some of the, the individuals behind the music. Um, so I, I really want to applaud you on that. Um, just to have open discussion, um, not free speech or anything, because you know speech is not free because it definitely has repercussions. Um, right, exactly. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah. um, but uh, you do encourage conversation and discussion and debate, um, which I think is phenomenal. Where you know some groups would flat out ban people for posting something that doesn't. Uh, mesh with their political ideology or something like that so very very cool that the group is like that and that you are so active on youtube posting music every freaking day right <laughs> and you're growing and growing and growing you're definitely a positive influence on metal in the cyber world um and you know technology has advanced so much where everyone's on the internet now so um you're definitely reaching a lot of people and you're you're an influencer i think at this part um, at this point in your life, you're a, definitely an influencer. Well, that's a, that's certainly something no one's called me before. But yes, I mean, that's a very internet, very digital native term, isn't it? And it is, no, yeah. No bad, yeah. No bad thing. I mean, yeah, because when we spoke before this, I said that I didn't particularly see myself as a promoter, even though that is what the YouTube platform is designed to do, is to promote the music of the of the members from the group but it's because it's such a inter kind of interwoven thing of activities so a lot of those people that the albums that are posted on the youtube they're the people that are having these discussions as well in the group and we're just kind of hanging out 
swapping other music, other influences, talking about different sort of, well, black metal, all, always on topic, always on the theme. But um, yeah, different conversations about things. And the, the YouTube channel is just one sort of actualization of the activities. And uh, we actually have had a couple of, um, you know, really good collaborations, kind of exceptionally good collaborations come out of the group, which is one of the things it was designed to do in the first place, this creative thing. Um, a band called Thermohaline with um, three three people, three of the members that was purely kind of created inside the order. And uh, recently, Paula Somni is another one that's just been created recently. Just, well, they're about to release the full album. I think it might be available now. Um, so, yeah, and we have loads of sort of artists logo designers cover designers um making art for people's albums so just this hugely kind of collaborative project which the whole group was it sounds great yeah it definitely sounds great um especially where it's community like you said like you just imagine out there in the public that there's black metal commune somewhere <laughs> yeah you have all these different you know individuals from all walks of life um, converging in one spot. That's what I kind of view Order to Black Arts as on Facebook. Um, so I know you're really selective, but if a listener of this podcast is interested in joining, um, it is a private group on Facebook called Bl Order of the Black Arts. There is a questionnaire you need to fill out before joining, and they're they're open to discussion. I'm like, if you want to post NSBM, you know, you can post it. Just write about you know the music a little bit and see why you know. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. equally, if you if you want to post uh, RABM, you can. If you want to post post black metal, shoegaze, synthwave black metal, um, you know, we had a pretty decent discussion about the new Violet Cold album the other day, which is a pride flag for the artwork, um, which is a pretty intense statement of intent from a, a uh, post black black gaze artist in uh, Azerbaijan. Is that where he is? I hope that's the right country. But some incredibly conservative, ultra conservative country that he's based in, creating an album for a relatively conservative minded uh, genre in general. I think Was it Islamic or? Uh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like you, you wouldn't expect, you know, islamic black metal would be a thing but you know black metal is so broad like we were talking about earlier it's just it's amorphous it's like there's all these little offshoots it's like you know there could be some you know antifa projects which there are and then you have you know like very traditionalist stuff and then even islamic black metal is crazy yeah there's some like well, I mean, the last the last gig that I saw before all the lockdowns, Dawn Raid played at a communist club um, in Brighton, in my town down the road. Um, that was that was the last gig that I saw. Um, kind of a worthy last gig, really. I think it was really good. But yeah, there's loads of like, uh, I mean, anti-fascist black metal, RABM. I mean, they are slightly different, but. That, that is a 
as a as a counter to current cultural events and situations that's a another subgenre of black metal that's going to grow very rapidly i think um over the next couple of years and you know some of the, some of the best bands around at the moment are from that kind of countercultural anti anti-fascist scene feminazgal album oh i know uh laura yeah the feminazgal yeah, laura, laura, laura used to have a radio station at a college um oh shoot a radio show at a college radio station um and she used to play the goo craft and yeah i've spoken of laura throughout the years it was crazy i didn't realize she had um grown to be in the public consciousness as at least reaching duncan over in the uk so, uh, <laughs> very I, interesting stuff um I mean, my wish list on Bandcamp is about to touch ten thousand albums and my collection is about to hit 1300 as well and that's you know some there's even some stuff that's not in those i i try and listen to quite a lot of stuff i mean i work I work from home. I'm self-employed, so I have 24 hours a day to listen to music, which I do tend to spend <laughs> most of it. So I listen to a lot of stuff. But I mean, Feminazgal, how you cannot want to listen to that as soon as you see that name. I don't know. That's one of the best band names of <laughs> recent times. It's really good. But that split, the new split with Awenden and them is amazing. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I've spoken to Laura quite a bit, um, especially when uh, Goo Craft was quite a bit younger, um, and she was helping do some promotion on her radio station because she liked the music. So interesting. Um, very happy for her in that regard. Um, so I do need to wrap up today's show. I want to thank you very, very much for being on Necropolis. Oh, and uh, yeah. Anyone interested in Order of the Black Arts, which specializes in black metal and black metal adjacent projects, you can look it up on the on the Facebook. You can look it up there. It is a private group, so there is a questionnaire before you can join. Um, and also the YouTube channel, which is you know posting every day and is growing and growing and growing. And I think uh, just spreading awareness of black metal um, from all walks of life is a very conducive thing, a very positive thing to the growth of metal um, and allowing open discussion. I think it's very uh, positive for the growth of metal. So I, what I think Duncan is doing here with Order of Black Arts, as well as, you know, Ivan and the other admins and Bradley in the background, they are a very positive influence on metal. Um, so thank you very much, Duncan, for being on the show, and I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Cheers, dude. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye.